What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Underdogs Podcast. We're moving on to episode number 14 now. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, we are down someone, Mike Taylor. He's out sick today, but we'll hold it down for him, and we hope he feels hold better down, soon. Hold it down, Mike T. Hope he feels better soon. As always, my name is Jordan Dale. We got Craig Smith and another special guest. Craig, I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah, today's a very special guest. We got the eighth pick in the 1999 draft, the Y2K draft. Okay, a 17 NBA vet. He only missed three games in his whole NBA career. Uh, 11th all-time in assists. Only NBA player to have at least 16,000 career points, 8,000 assists, and 1,500 steals without an all-star nut, which means he's a true underdog, and he definitely should have been an all-star. Everybody, please help me welcome Andre Miller to the Underdogs Podcast. Andre Miller. Welcome. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We'll get right into it. This is usually Mike's special part of it, but let's just kind of just get into your upbringing, kind of walk us through, you know, where you grew up, what life was like. And, you know, if you went through any struggles, kind of open up about that and, you know, let people know. Let us uh, know about L.A., man. Well, man, uh, yeah. Andre Miller, man, born and raised in, in Los Angeles. Uh, to be specific, the, Watt, the Watts area. Um you know, just like any other area in Los Angeles, a little rough upbringing with, you know, the, the gang influence and the crime and drugs back then. But, you know, uh, come from a big family. Um, Great grandparents had 18 kids. My grandmother was the oldest. Um, so, you know, it took a village to raise a family. Um, you know, just a stable upbringing, you know, to, to be able to deal with all the stuff that's going around. You know, it was a lot of men involved in our family. Uh, my mom played my man, dad, and, um, you know, my outlet was, uh, was basketball, you know, basketball, all sports for all the kids during that, during the eighties and, and early nineties, uh, sports was the outlet. And, um, you know, I just took a hold of it and, you know, everywhere you saw me, I had a basketball in my hand, me and my family members, uh, me and my friends. And we just had those dreams of, of being a uh, professional basketball players, watching Magic Johnson and the Lakers and, and the Clippers being close by. So, you know, um, you know, I was blessed enough to go to private school all my life. Uh, I ended up graduating from a uh, Day high school right there in Watts, you know, so, you know, I was right there and, 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 and basketball and kind of took care of myself. Academics was good. And, and then after that, I, um, you know, a guy came in the gym. I was playing some summer league. I never played travel basketball or anything. I went and jumped on a summer league team, uh, played for uh, Rockfish for a summer. And, uh, you know, I played probably about five or six games in one day. And then a guy came up to me, offered me a scholarship to the University of Utah. And pretty much the rest was history. I did five years at Utah. And then, uh, you know, was blessed enough to get my um, my degree in sociology with a minor in uh, in uh, criminology and and decided to do the master's. But then I dropped out of that after graduating and, and, and the basketball took care of itself and was able to knock out 17 years in the NBA. So I was blessed enough to stay healthy and, um, you know, just a just a, a great experience, a great ride. And, and it went by fast. And, you know, I, I enjoyed my time, you know. You know, my boy here, Craig Smith, he, he he knocked out a whole bunch of years in the NBA. And we were fortunate enough to be two L.A. guys that that represented our communities, stayed under the radar in the right way and, and, and took care of our families. 
Yeah, man. Well, it's it's cool that you bring up this Rockfish uh, League because um, Antoine Tanner, uh, who was on our podcast a little bit earlier from One Tree Hill, uh, uh, Coach Carter, he brought up um, like his start of basketball going to that Rockfish tournament. So can you kind of give us your experience um, in, in that Rockfish League? Because it, it's a ton of us that's come out of that. And then let's just talk let's just go back and talk about like what high school was like at bourbon day um because in, in in my opinion being an la guy and most la people who are watching this bourbon day was one of those basketball schools growing up um there was a lot of different players that came out of there but it's also a lot of different players who play there in the beginning and then transfer um for example my guy like hassan adams um so can you just go through that um, and give us a little bit of detail of, uh, of both of them. You know, you know what's crazy is that, you know, I didn't know the history of, of, of Verbum Day growing up. You know, I, I mean, I walked those train tracks and walked all behind that school, all, all my upbringing, going to the park and going through the neighborhood. And I, I, all I knew, it was just a school right next to the elementary school. So I didn't know any of the history. And I tell people, like, one of the guys that were, that everybody talk about Raymond Lewis. He used to come in the gym and, uh, you know, he was considered a legend and we didn't even know who he was. And, um, wow. you know, I, all I knew was it was a private school and, you know, it was right there. So my mom sent me right there. So it, it was, it was a great experience. You know, I needed that, you know, it was a brotherhood, all boys school, you know, and it was somewhat like a public school, but without girls, <laughs> it just had the, the private part, you know, the yeah. Catholic part to it. So, you know, it was a great experience. Great guys, great people come out of that school, and it was a it was a community of men that that support each other. Something that I didn't know growing up, and you know, I never played travel ball. I just played the high school ball, and then uh, one summer, you know, somebody was just talking about rockfish, and um, I never played the slam and jam or none of that. Never traveled to play any basketball anywhere. So like, oh, come over to L.A. City College and and play with Dave Venezra and Rockfish. And I'm like, what's that? So my mom took me over there for a few weeks. And, you know, I enjoyed the experience. It was, the competition was great. It was it was some L.A. ballers, man. I can't even remember. It was so many, so many great athletes. Can, can you remember one one person you played with? I can't I can't even remember, man. I, I, I just remember jumping on a few different teams. But I don't I don't remember, man. It was so many good guys, man. So many good guys that was coming out of yeah. L.A. at the time. And, you know, we was just all trying to trying to, uh, you know, live our dreams out, you know, to be noticed yeah. and, and, and get a college scholarship to a division one college. And it just played out for the best of it. The guy that actually recruited me uh, that came in the gym was a guy named Donnie Daniels, who was an assistant at the University of Utah. And I didn't even know at the time that he was an alumni of the high school that I went to. So, yeah. you know, it kind of just played played it out. You know, it, it all worked out for the best. So, yeah, like I, th I believe Donnie Daniels ended up going to UCLA and then um, becoming a coach at Cal State Fullerton. And he was uh, I had an official home visit with him. Yeah, that's I had a home I visit. Yeah. So like that, that's cool. Like just to have that type of experience of in the basketball world of having that six degree of separation of coaches with each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't get recruited by any of these, the UCLA, the USC, none of the PAC 12 schools, 
you know, Pac-10 schools at the time. And, you know, Utah just kind of fell in my lap, you know. And it, like I say, it played out for the best. I owe a lot to, to Donnie Daniels, um, you know, for, for taking notice of me and, and, and uh, pushing that message to uh, Rick Majerus to offer me a scholarship. So, you know, it worked out, man. It was tough, yeah. but, you know, it was needed. Needed to get out of the community of Los Angeles and see something different, and, and I took advantage of it. You finally get to Utah, right? Let's talk about you know your career at Utah. Obviously, you had a pretty successful one. If you if you if you're listening, definitely look up his stats. Uh, we'll run through a few of them, but you know you had some deep tourney runs, and you know one we wanted to talk about specifically was you were credited for the fourth triple double in NCAA tournament history when you had 18 points, 14 rebounds and 13 assists, which is part of the reason Utah probably decided to retire your jersey, right? It's just crazy to think how successful of a college career you had where, you know, you look at Utah now, you know, I'm a lot younger. I, you don't see people come out of Utah too often. Talk about your experience in Utah and what that was like for you and, and you know, everything you were able to accomplish. Man, Utah, for me, you know, I, if you would have told me, you know, growing up, you know, that I end up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was told you was lying. I don't even know what Salt. Only thing I knew about Utah was the Utah Jazz and Carl Malone and John Stockton. And, um, you know, I didn't know where it was on the map. You know, I probably only been on the airplane maybe two times at the time. And, um, you know, going out there at first, it was a culture shock. But, you know, I was accepted by the community. You know, I had to deal with the ups and downs just like you have to do with any, any place that you live at that's kind of, you know, different. But, um, you know, I needed that. I needed, you know, to be a way to be able to concentrate on the academic part. And then the basketball, the basketball, I mean, it was probably the toughest grind that I ever had in my life. You know, just, just learning what it takes to, you know, be successful, you know, the hard work and the dedication that it took you know, for, for me and my brothers, I call them my brothers at Utah, where I felt like we all thought a lot. We, we thought alike. And um, it was a brotherhood, man. I tell people it was probably the only time that I ever felt like I was on a, on a team. You know, the NBA is a brotherhood and, you know, it's the business part of it and you got to go, you know, do your job. But, you know, I was a kid and, you know, to be able to make those runs in the tournaments and, and the pressure and, and being on TV and representing your family on the collegiate level, man, it was, it was the best experience, you know, I thought we should have went further, but you know, the one, the one chance that I got was the, the play in front of my family and against Arizona and Anaheim pond and, you know, was able to get that triple double, which, you know, I, I still can't believe, but you know, it was a special moment that 1998 year where we were able to make it to the, the national championship game. So in that game, when you get that triple double, is that something that's you, you, you're cognitive about, you're aware about in that game, or are you just playing your game and, and, you know, doing you? Well, everything about my college experience was day to day. Everything was day to day. I never thought about NBA. I never thought about tomorrow. You know, it was about how am I going to survive today? You know, as far as academically, and as far as, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, training table or, you know, everything. It was just a schedule that I had to stay on. So I wasn't thinking too far ahead as, as far as, you know, what I wanted to be in life. It was a constant grind. So I just took it day to day, man. It was 
nothing was promised to me at the time. And it was just at that time for me it was a survival and to, to try to try to get to get through school. And you know that it worked out, man. I got my degree. I didn't get in trouble too much. You know, I, I was a kid at the same time and, and I represented my family and, and myself the right way. I represented the university and, and, and it was all fun. So after that triple double, like when did it occur in your mind? Like, all right, man, I'm league ready. It's time to go to the league. Like it's time for me to take my talents, like where all the best players in the world are. Well, I, f- I felt, you know, at that time it, it kind of, you know, we was already on that stage from the previous year with yeah. Keith Van Horn, you know, and his success yeah, and going on to the NBA. Yeah, and, um, you know, we was on, we was on that stage and it was like the, the triple double and the rematch against Arizona, you know, I never even thought about statistics or anything in college. It was just about winning the game. I never ever said to myself, Oh, I'm gonna go score 10 points five assists or three steals. I never thought like that because we was like programmed. We was programmed in college. So, you know, um, to, to go through that experience and, and I'm like, man, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready, but nobody, my, not even my coach and the assistants like, oh, you going to the NBA. We never heard those type of things. So it was more of, you know, how I fed, felt at the time. I thought I was ready. And then of course, that's 1998 and the lockout hits the lockout hits. So I'm like, you know what? Check this out. There's no rush for me. Yeah. You know, there's no rush. You know, I was still, you know, day to day. I wasn't planning. I was like, you know what? What's the rush? Let me just kick back and take advantage of this extra year that I have in college. And that's crazy that you say your assistant coaches and your coach like wasn't pushing. Cause it goes, you play for an iconic coach. You play for, Rick Majerus, correct? Yes. Was it re- yes? The great Rick Majerus. So it was just like, I don't know, like to not hear that at that point, you know, just to let you know, like that time of 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 where the flow was of really getting kids to go earlier a little bit in college. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't even those conversations. Even when Van Horn was there, you know what I'm saying? He was a mm-hmm. year ahead of me, and and everybody knew, you know, like, hey, this guy's a pro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he went second behind Tim Duncan. So that tell you how good he was. Yeah. We just never heard those things. Those weren't conversations that we had amongst each other. Those weren't conversations that we had in practice. The coaches didn't say anything to us. You know, the only thing that I can say where we felt like, you know, we can compete on that level is, you know, you got Utah. There's no professional football team. And you just have the Utah Jazz. So one thing that helped me get ready was, you know, to go over before the Jazz would go to training camp for three, four years. We was always going to play pickup ball with those guys. Mm-hmm. Pickup balls and summer summertime hoops against the Jazz guys. I'm like, okay, I could keep up with these guys. But as far as the college experience, we never, we never even talked about, hey, you going pro, you going pro. We was just having fun being kids, man. That's cool. Y'all were staying in the moment. And what's cool at that was like what people don't understand was like growing up um, in our eras, we didn't have trainers. We didn't have guys that we can go in and work on our skills. So how do we get better? We just had to play. And the advantage of most L.A. guys playing, too, was we got to play against the pros. 
And that was a perfect example. You got to go every summer and play against the NBA players. So you already getting a feel of what it's like um, in that competition um, for that next level. You know, like, so that's that's dope. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely good times. I'm going to channel my inner Mike T because I know he can't be here, but I have a feeling he would ask a question along these lines. So you mentioned you graduated with a degree in sociology, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What made you kind of go that route? And, um, you know, as you're going through these years in college, was it always kind of your plan to make sure you graduate college? Do you ever consider trying to go to the league earlier? Was was education always kind of that priority? Well, education was the priority first, you know, just because I, I, I mean, to backtrack, I came into Utah as a non-qualifier. So I couldn't even, I was a Proposition 48 where I couldn't even play mm. my first year. So I had to prove that I can do the work academically before I even played. So what ended up happening was the classes that I were taking, that I was taking in college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, you know, maybe I'll major in Spanish. You know, I go take a Spanish class and they're not even speaking English. <laughs> well, let me get let me get up out of this. Let me get up out of this. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was just like, you know, a little bit of confusion and, you know, I just find my niche and it was a couple of professors that I had in, in the sociology department that kind of, you know, made me veer to that way where I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And, you know, back then everybody, oh, oh, that's the athlete major. That's the athlete major. Well, it was a lot more than that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, just just the experience, man, it, it was the main thing was to to get a good education and, and leave that university with a college degree. That was something that me and my mom, we, we actually never talked about me getting a degree. The th- who, who actually talked about me getting a degree was Rick Majerus. And, and that's what was sold me on, you know, going to the university. Like, you know, he wasn't all talking about basketball, this, basketball, that. It was like, you know, he told my mom, you know, I can guarantee that your son is going to get an education. He's going to graduate college and he's going to come back home a man. And, and, that was more important than the basketball. You know, of course, I'm a kid. Like, yeah, I want to dribble the basketball, but, you know, academics first. Definitely. Yeah, I'm thinking about, like, my dad in this situation, like what he would do. And if you heard that from a coach, I'm pretty sure my dad would, like, make me sign that <laughs> line that day. Yeah. Um, when I – know, I know you said it was never kind of really on your radar, but once you realized, you know, the NBA is something that's going to happen for you, what was that draft process like for you? You know, we've heard stories about – crazy workout schedules, different things with agents. We kind of want to hear your side of things and how that all happened for you. Well, I was, I was, I was blessed enough, like I say, being on the stage and, and, and the, the NCAA, the NCAA tournament, bringing a lot of attention to the university and a lot of attention to me and, and a couple of my other teammates and just all the guys on the team. Um, so I was fortunate enough, I didn't have to go through all the workouts and the combines and all. I probably did like seven to eight workouts, and I ended up being the eighth pick in the draft. And, and I, you know, one thing I just remember was, you know, interviewing agents, interviewing agents and, and meeting people and the process. And, and none of that stuff, really, the business of basketball, as far as the NBA process, never really hit me probably to like about maybe six years in, six years in, because I was like, you know, everything was so pure and authentic to me about the NBA, you know, from watching TV, watching Magic Johnson, watching Larry Bird, watching Michael Jordan, 
everything was authentic, like, you know, like the the music to the NBA when you watch it on Saturday and Sundays, you know, da, 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 you know, all that, you know, so I, I kept the, the game in my heart and my mind as a dream. So I, I tried not to bring the business part to it. You know, the process was amazing. You know, I made some good friends along the way. You know, I wish I could have brought all my family to the to the green room at the draft. You know, I wish I wish I could have changed that. It probably would have been two hundred people in that green room. But uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it, it was a it was a great experience. It went by fast, man, and, and and I stayed a kid during the process and enjoyed it. Awesome, and and let's let's dive a little bit more into that. You were just talking about your draft night experience. Uh, we had Cedric Zabalos on last week, and he kind of walked us through his draft experience. Draft night experience. We kind of want to hear yours. I know you just said you were in the green room. Kind of walk us through that. Was was there any? Did you have any idea you were going at eight? Did you think you were going to go earlier? Kind of walk us through all that. Well, once I once I got invited to the green room, I knew it was official. I knew it was official. You know, you get that invite to the draft, like, oh, for real? And it was like, basically, you knew that you was going to be a top pick. It was just about getting your name caught. But the funniest thing, you know, like, you watch in today's society and in different years in the NBA, the process of, you know, getting dressed, wearing suits. And and I still remember, you know, like watching all the, you know, the previous drafts. And, man, I went to Nordstrom's, man, and just picked out a suit. And so <laughs> I felt so out of place because everybody was getting custom this, custom that. I mean, I didn't know how to do all that, man. I just went to Nordstrom's in downtown Salt Lake City, picked me up a suit. Pick my cousin up a suit because we was the same size. And it was like, you know, I still actually still have that suit. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, it wasn't all about being fancy. It was just like, hey, we got to put on the suit. We got to put mm-hmm. on the suit. That's it. So, you know, I, like I say, that that was just the authentic part of me. I didn't, I didn't know how to go, hey, let me go get a professional guy to size me up and, and, and lace me and look good. I was just the basic guy with a regular suit on and, and, and it was just fun being there and, and looking at all the pictures that I took, you know, from the past. It, it was a great experience. And that's, and that's like, like being honest, it's like staying in your means already, like running your own race. Like I ain't got to do what y'all doing. Like I'm going to yeah. go down here. Yeah. yeah pick I mean, up. This suit's like, still going to be fly. Just like y'all, you feel me? So, cause yeah. it's Nordstrom. Yeah. I never had like Nordstrom's was probably back then to me. Nordstrom's was like probably like, you know, uh, what's these high end stores? But Tom, Tom Ford, Gucci, Tom Ford. Chanel. Nordstrom's yeah. was Tom Ford to me, you know. <laughs> so you know, if I was dressed in Nordstrom's, you know, you couldn't tell me nothing. So you yep. know, and, and of course, you know, I didn't save no. I saved a little bit of money of my scholarship check, but it wasn't enough to you know. Yeah. Hey, I didn't know how to go get a line of credit. I didn't want to do that. You know, I just want to, you know, do everything the right way. The little bit of money that I saved for my scholarship check, I went and bought me and my cousin a Nordstrom suit. (laughs) Yeah. So you you hear your name get called eighth by Cleveland. What's kind of going through your mind then and there? Man, so, you know, like a lot of people talk about walking across the stage and one thing I remember, like my mom, you know, I didn't even know that they had grabbed her and she would did an interview on TV. So 
now you got you know black folks. We wasn't even talking back then. We were I didn't even know how to talk or do an interview or nothing. <laughs> so I was like, man, you know, now I gotta go talk. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole interviewing process, like how do you talk to the media? How do you deal with this and that? So, man, I was really, really nervous. I was really, really nervous. You know, I got drafted by a team in Cleveland that, you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was just just hearing my name called. and Hey, as soon as your name called, you do your interviews, and guess what? You got to fly to Cleveland, Ohio. And it was like, man, you hit the ground, like, rolling right away. It wasn't no rest. You know, from the time your name was called to the time you retired, it was no time to rest. Yeah. And you know that, Craig. You know, hey, hey the grind yes. is real. Yep. It's it's so real because, like, yeah, in, in my process, as soon as I got drafted, I got that call, I'm out ASAP. Exactly. I'm out ASAP. We got press conferences. We got interviews. Hey, we're trying to do a little media training for you. But yeah, so so it was cool. But I guess for, for me, like, I had I had the blessing of like being in like as far as in college, one of the top five media places in the world. So yeah. we kind of had like prep for it. And I think it's because of the times that you guys went through that they actually pre started to prep us a, like a little bit more um, um, for the training, because it's like you you're not lying. It's a freeway that you're getting on. And this freeway ain't in traffic. This freeway starting off at about 75 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With some cats doing 100 already, talking yeah, about definitely. catch up, you know? Yeah, so long, yeah. long nights, early mornings. Exactly. And taking exactly. care of your body. And I'm still recovering. Still recovering. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's like, and and I and I think a lot of people don't understand. Like it's 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 like a war mentality. Like you've been out so long battling war scars, war wounds, and then you get out, and it's just like, man, I'm a little bit tired from it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's mentally, yeah. it's 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 draining. Yeah, it is, man. I tell people, man, you know, you watch these games, and I was talking to a couple of friends the last few days, and we just kind of reminisce, you know the competition level and, and the preparation of, of playing against the best. You know, there, there is nobody that, that you will say, oh, he's trash. There is no such thing as that. And, um, you know, the only way I was telling my friends, I said, man, I didn't, I didn't play that sport. I didn't play I, – I, I didn't play in the NBA. It didn't happen. It was just a dream. You know, I'm watching TV now, watching these guys do what they do, and I was like, man, I did that? No, I didn't. I, it, it, that didn't happen. That, did, that was a dream. That was a dream, and it didn't happen. And that's how I look at the experience, you know? That's how I have yeah. to look at it. That's dope. That's a dope, that's a dope like, concept, though. Because I didn't even, like, really think about that, to have it as a dream. Like, yeah. it keeps it more youthful and, like, more pure, as you talked about. Mm -hmm. like, yep, so definitely. What was your welcome to the league moment, though? Like, when did you look like, oh, like, all right, this is what it is, or like somebody was like, all right, young fella. <laughs> well, it was two. It was two two instances. Both of them are pretty funny. Actually, the first one's not funny. I get that one out the way. I remember I was playing. We we're on a road trip, 
And back then, you know, the league was the league was like super physical, super physical. And um, I'm driving to the basket, and Oliver Miller is standing under the basket. And at that time, you know, Oliver Miller, probably six nine, six ten, however big he was, and then he they always got on him about the weight issue. And this was back then when you drive to the basket and somebody would crack you and the refs would not call foul. And this guy hit me so hard in my neck, like an elbow to the neck. I went flying and the referees didn't call anything. No, man, I want to kill this dude, but I'm a rookie. So I just laid there and chalked it up. I actually ended up running into that guy this past year playing in the golf tournament in Phoenix. But I didn't say nothing to him. I just looked at him like, man, this this the dude that hit me. And then the other one, the other one was when I was in Cleveland. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I tried to dunk on Shaq. Oh, my God. That's when I had, had some, I had a little bit of athleticism, but it went quick. It went quick. So I had to pick and choose when to jump and this and that. And I tried to drive baseline and, and raise up on Shaq. And, man, that dude hit me so hard, man. I went flying back to the bench, stumbling back to the bench, and he came and helped me up. And he was like, hey, young fella, don't don't come back in here no more. And then I, I went and shot a free throw. I went and shot a free throw, and I, I literally could see, like, two or three rims. Like, like, so I shot the free throw, but I shot it the wrong way. You know, and I I never forget that experience, man. But he just laughed, man. Was was crazy as he ended up giving me some autographed shoes after that, man. And, oh, that know, was dope. that's awesome, but man. You know, he man, he cracked me pretty good, man. He, yeah, he practiced. You, that. Yeah, you two over three hundred pounds. <laughs> Man, that's yeah. all I'm gonna say. That's the definition of wanting to smoke, right there. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and I and I done seen you over your career catch catch a couple people bodying them, putting them in the rim. I I didn't see them with my own eyes, so I know I know what you talk about about your bounce. But it's just like, dang, especially like prime muscular athletic Shaq. Oh, he was trying yeah. to take your head off. And he wasn't even. He was like like these guys like to say it was all a dream to me. Like. Just that that experience. Some of those people, those those the Shacks, the Kobe's, the Allen Iversons. You know, I got a taste of Michael Jordan a little bit. Man, those guys, those those guys weren't real. Those guys weren't real to me. You know, like yeah. I mean, they were they were dream characters. Like you know, they were somebody that was put on earth to make the world a better place or something. I don't know. But, you know, the experience, man, to be on the court with a guy that big, that could run that fast, that was that was funny and cool, but mean at the same time. You know, like, I mean, it was it was unreal, man. The list goes on and on to see a guy like Vince Carter jump, you know, and I saw him doing it in college, you know, when we was in the in the final four. And I was like, man, this, this, this not real. This isn't real. You know, like yeah. what the hell, what the hell is in his body? You know, so you know, it was, it was a dream come true, man, for real. Yeah, I've talked to Craig about that. Like, that's one thing I'll never be able to understand. Like, I can't imagine like checking into the court and like seeing someone I've looked up to like my entire, you know, life 
and now I'm supposed to like play against them. It's just like something I'll never be able to experience or like understand, but that's just crazy to me. Like you have to, you have to do that. Yeah. I think, I think I was like maybe like a year, maybe a year or possibly the same age as Stefan Marbury. And I remember having to guard him. I think my first game and I'm like, Whoa, I got to guard this muscle athletic change of pace, aggressive New York city guard. I'm like, Whoa, you know, like, yeah. Hey, how am I going to guard this guy? Yeah. You know, so let me just stay in front of him. That wasn't even possible, you know, and that's how great, you know, guys from different backgrounds and cultures, you know, the craziest thing was even when Yao Ming came in the league, I'm like, hold the hell up. This, this is getting even crazy. You know, seven foot five guy coming from China. However tall, man, come on, man. The NBA, not, NBA ain't real. It ain't real. You know, it's not, you know. <laughs> for real, for real. Yeah. Sounds like superhero characters, right? Yeah, what straight up. What are we up. talking about, right? Straight yeah. up. So you end up having a fantastic rookie year. You get named to the all-rookie team. How do you feel your first year went and, you know, getting that all-rookie nod? Like, what was kind of going through your head on that? Man, I didn't know what to expect my rookie year. Um, I tell people a story. When I got to Cleveland and I was, you know, you know, went there and was getting, you know, situated to Ohio and and I was walking around the, the mall and and a couple a couple cats from the streets were like, Miller, uh, man, we don't need you here. We don't need <laughs> you here. Like, like we already got guards, but you know, that that rookie year, man. Man, it was it was the hardest thing ever, man. You know, I and I don't I don't haze teammates, you know, like make them carry bags and stuff and all that type of stuff. But I I embraced it. You know what I'm saying? I embraced it. Like, you know what? Hey, I'm in the league. You know what I'm saying? They want me to carry bags, <laughs> I'ma carry bags. Yeah. They want me to go get some donuts, I'ma go get some donuts. donuts. You know. Uh, Sean Kim want me to go get a bucket of chicken and some cigarettes or something. I'm gonna go get them, you know. So, you know, man, like I was playing with a legend to, in my eyes, Sean Kim. You know, what I'm saying like the Rain Man. You know, yep. so you know that experience, man. I didn't care about no accolades, man. I stayed healthy. I, I worried about staying healthy and earning the respect of my teammates, man. I was doing three-man weaves and extra work for guys that didn't want to practice 24-7. And that's how I earned my respect. So it was it was great, man. It was great. The, the rookie sophomore game, the whole, you know, that 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 experience was awesome. Yeah, that's cool because um, this is another question from, from Mike T. Your, your mental approach for that rookie season, it seems like – one, you kind of took in what those fans were telling you and you used that as motivation. And then two, you found how easy it can be, especially having a guy like Sean Kemp around that can make your job easier for you to be successful out there. Just explain to the viewer your approach mentally that year and, and, and how you felt at the end of the day it went in your mind and and if it went it 
have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything if you can understand what i'm saying like yeah yeah if it went as you thought it was in your approach actually you know what's crazy is i i came into the locker room with some some vets you know mark bryan who's who's on the phoenix suns bench yep. you know I, I still remember him you know you know telling me put some bass in my voice you know like you know he hated how i called out plays but at the same time, you know, those vets, they was on you. They wasn't on you verbally. They was on you physically like, hey, this is a man's game. Like physically, the physical part, you know, I thought I was ready for it, which I was. But my approach, my approach, as much as I was soaking in and observing everything, I tried to lead by example. And also I, I became like, no nonsense, like nobody's my friend. No, if if I want to survive in this league, I have to be, I have to be aggressive and no nonsense as my approach as a point guard. That you know what I understand that this position is not given, and I have to earn it every day. I never took the position for granted. You know, anybody could take a spot, but you know I'm gonna challenge my teammates and practice with my aggression and and my leadership, and, and just leading by example. And I think that's why I earn the respect. And, and the thing is, you know, my, I always, my the one thing that I told myself was, while I'm in this league, I want guys to play with me as the point guard. Mm -hmm. I, I know I could score. I know I could pass. I know I could, I could do, I know how to play the game and the IQ part. But the professional part is, you know, you know, Craig, like, hey, the worst is to have guys around you say, Shit, man, I, I I can't play with that, man, man. No. You, you know that's be my tripping. job. I can't play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this, man. Let's do it. Let me do my job and say, you know what? I want to help guys get paid. I'm gonna think about my teammates first. I'm gonna be selfless. I'm gonna work hard and lead by example. And I want guys to say, you know what? I want to come play with Dre. I want to come play with Dre because Dre gonna get me paid. Yeah. All I gotta do is run. All I gotta do is <laughs> catch a lob. And he gonna do the rest. He gonna give me the ball where I need to catch it in the pocket and shoot the ball. And that's where I felt my longevity would come from. Man, and that's so true because it goes, man. Like if you if you do get in a situation as a as a guy like my stature as a forward, um, if you could really play with a good guard, you're gonna be set for life because it's just like the guard puts you in the in the best position possible ever. If you do what you're supposed to do. Guard gonna have it. You gonna you gonna get it easy. That's why it's you, um, Steve Nash. You know what I'm saying? Like these caliber, you caliber type guards get guys paid yearly, like yeah. twenty games signing. But you know, like yeah. you guys are pinnacle because you guys actually get a lot of people jobs. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to you have to be a leader, and you know, you know, you know those those wings and the bigs. Like, hey, I know if I make Craig Smith happy, guess what? He gonna have my back. He gonna set a screen for me. You know, I sound go down. No. Hey, he got my back. But if I if I can't make my big man happy, 
he ain't gonna protect the rim. He ain't gonna run hard. And it, it's it's a it's, that's why it's a team sport. So you know, guys like I play, Marcus Canby, Elton mm-hmm. Brand. You know, I play with some good guys, and you know, my Andre Iguodala. Look at the career he had. You know, he's having. You know, what I'm saying like Lou Williams. You know. Man, I was blessed enough to play with some good guys. Willie Green, he, who's coaching now. Green, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's in, in the league, you know, the media put out, you know, some some perceptions of bad. To me, there is no bad guy in the NBA. To me, everybody's a good guy. It's just certain circumstances that, you know, happens along the way that we have to respond to and deal with, and that's how we deal with it. But everybody, to me, was a good guy, and they had a different approach to the game. And that's what makes the game special. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because it goes, you made it to the league for a reason. You are good. Yeah. There's something that got you there. So, like, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, in your third season, you led the league in assists, Dre. Your third season, right? So, how did you prepare differently before this season? And then – um when did you realize you was you kind of had like a sublime Bruce Leroy glow? Like, oh, okay, like I got this now. Like, you know, like I got, I got, I know the glitch in the matrix of the league now. Yeah, it was, you know, during that time, man. I mean, I don't know if you remember. I mean, I think when they when they did the episode on the last dance with Michael Jordan. When he came yeah. back, I think between my second and third year, mm-hmm. and then the hype around the league was like, you know, and you hear these stories, you hear these stories like he coming back, Michael Jordan, like like the goat, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like yeah. the, it was hype. Then I'm like, man, this this really the NBA, so I gotta be on it. I gotta be on it, and and I'm in the Eastern Conference, and this guy is coming. You know, you get to see him. You get to see Vince Carter. You you know, you get to see so many great players. And, um, man, it was so competitive, man. And, and that was something that just just happened. And, and you know, I, who I, I like to give credit to is um, John Lucas. John, John Lucas. Lucas. Shout out John, John Lucas. Lucas told me he would always call me Richard Pryor. Like, Richard, you know, <laughs> just get it. Just get it and go, Richard. Just get it and go. He will always encourage me to just, you know, be a lot more vocal. You know what I'm saying? I play with some athletes, Ricky Davis. And look, man, I have some shooters around me, man. I have Wesley Person, Lamont Murray, Trajan Langdon, uh, uh, Danny Ferry. Bobby Uh, Sura with y'all? Bobby B. Soup was with us. You know, I have some real shooters so all I had to do was just get them that ball, man, and, and just let them let it fly. You know what I'm saying? I thought that yeah. we would have been a really good team, uh, but I think I believe that was the year that Zadrunas had broke his foot. Mm. Zadrunas Ilgowskis. Yeah, Ilgowskis. He, he had broke his foot in practice, man. But, man, we had some guys that can go, man, and it was just, you know, the, the assist was easy to come by just because guys – wanted to catch that ball and shoot but you know everything else you know that's when I figured out you know my niche and the balance of of scoring and assisting you know that's that was the year that I was like okay 
it became, it finally became easy by the third year. So now after you, after playing in Cleveland, you get to come back home. You get to come back home in LA and play for the Clippers. How was that experience? Like give me detail that call. Was you excited? And then let's just talk about playing in LA, like back at the crib, man. Full man, circle moment. Man, what was crazy is, man, I, I should have just kept my mouth closed before <laughs> I asked for that trade. Because that was the year that, you know, I was approached by Cleveland and they told me that the following year after that, you know, it was coming up for contract year, yeah. you know, for an extension that, you know, they was going to basically tank the next season to draft LeBron. So I'm like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. That's when I'm like, hold up, the NBA ain't real now. <laughs> they, they lose games on purpose. And I'm like, so they, they I remember uh, they, them telling me they wanted me to go give LeBron James an award, a high school player of the year award. And I didn't know who the heck LeBron James was at the time. So I go meet LeBron like, man, hey, Go to college, man. Get an education, you know. I'm not knowing. I'm talking to LeBron James. <laughs> so so uh, I went back to management, told him to trade me. My agent was like, ask for a trade because they're not going to pay you. They're going to tank the season. They're going to draft LeBron James. That was the year before it happened. So as soon as I asked for that, I was traded to the Clippers. And, you know, that year before, you had D-Miles and Quentin Richardson. They was doing the knuckle stuff knuckle on their head. Yeah. And then you bring my boring self, you know, that's from me. I'm a boring guy. You know, I just play basketball. They make Chilling, me yeah. up in the butt of rim, throwing lobs and stuff. And then I come home to L.A. And uh, you know how it is, Craig, playing in your own city. You play for Clippers. You know, you we both bounced around. And, man, the family, the friends, it was like, man, I had to go into hiding or something. You know, like, I was running. I was running from family, aunties, uncles, cousins, homeboy. Oh, man, it was like, can we get tickets? Can we get tickets? You know, so, you know, the experience was good, you know, but at the same time, for career-wise, basketball-wise, it wasn't as great, you know, because, you know, it was just, it was just too much, you know, on the shoulders of, of me, like, Hey, I got to be able to go out and perform, but then, okay, forget just going home or going to the gym and get some shots up. Or I'm going to go to the neighborhood. Or I'm going to go get some home-cooked meal for mom or something like that yeah. and hang out. So it wasn't – it was a balance to it, but, you know, I'd rather that not happen. But, you know, again, it was a dream. It happened. I enjoyed it, you know. I played with that was probably the most talented team that I played. Mm. Probably one of the most talented teams that I played with. You know, so you know, if I could have stayed there longer, it would have been cool. You know, you had Elm Brand, Corey Maggetti, Lamar Odom, Quentin Richardson, Michael Olawa Candy. Oh, it was oh, it was talent. It was talent everywhere on that roster. So, you know, it was it was a rough experience, but I got up out of there right after that one year. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it is a little bit of a distraction because it goes like, man, even if I go down the street, I'm going to see somebody I know. We're going to get into this long conversation. Then they're going to try to come to the game, maybe. 
you oh, know, so I can't just go from the gym to my house, not be bothered or, you know what I'm saying? Like something's going to go on in the city. So yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I definitely. totally get that. I totally understand that, man. So, but yeah. Um, luckily, we got, luckily, I, luckily, I wasn't no clubber like that. If I was a clubber and a hangout and, and a drinker oh, yeah, like yeah. that, oh, yeah, I would have been under the rug somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like going back to the, the Cleveland thing, we got to throw this in. We've had two of your former teammates, uh, Ricky and Jumaine, on. And from their stories, I think you dodged a bullet getting out of there the year you did. Because uh, we heard some horror stories about that, that, that tank. Oh, yeah. Year. Yeah. Which team, Cleveland? Yeah. yeah, Ricky Davis and Jermaine Jones. Ricky told us a story about something that happened the, the year after you left. Yeah, where we, he had to have like a meeting <coughs> with the organization, and like it was crazy. No, I didn't even know that. Me and Ricky D, we was cool. You know, I was throwing him lives. You know, yeah. and you know, it was it was just we was kids, man. We was kids, but I didn't know all the drama what was going on afterward because they was losing. They was losing. Yeah, was yeah losing. Jermaine, Jermaine Jones, he told us as well that uh, they were completely canceling practices that year just so they could work out LeBron James. They weren't even yeah, practicing. Because that, that's when John Lucas ended up getting uh, fired, you know, and it was, it was a lot of stuff. I think John Lucas might have got fired my third year, but – or Keith Smart must have took over or something like that. But something I, like I that, can only yeah. I can only imagine what was going on with all that losing. Mm. Yeah, house. Yeah, house. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So after leaving LA, you go to Denver. Right? Yeah, six-year deal. Denver. Yeah. Six-year deal at Denver. Right. And you play there for three. But then you part of an iconic trade too, where you get to go to Philly for the Allen Iverson trade. Let's talk mad. about. I was mad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, hey, that's when, like you know, I asked for the trade from Cleveland. You know, I asked to get up out of there. You know, which I should have kept my mouth closed. And in the Denver trade, man, you know, we was gelling, man. You know, you know, from what I was told, you know. Me and Carmelo was the guys, you know, it was our team. You know, he's a young buck right there standing next to LeBron James coming in. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it was a lot of hype around Carmelo and the, but the city was buzzing, went to the playoffs those three years. And then, you know, I'm the first to go. And it wasn't it wasn't about the trade. It was how I got traded. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I was actually practicing when I got traded. You know, I was at practice and they like, you know, hey, the trade went down and I'm like, man, I hope it ain't me. And then I, I get a call from my mom, like you've been traded to Philly. So yeah. Rex Chapman, because the management had just took over for Kiki Vandeway was let go. And and they brought me in and was like, hey, we need you to, uh, we need you to uh, start packing up. <laughs> And I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> like, man, you got, the you LA know. came out, huh? LA, yeah. Yeah. man, I ain't going nowhere, man. I ain't even got nobody watching my pit bulls. So, so uh, they was like, Allen Iverson is already on the way here. And I'm like, what? What? He already on the airplane on the way to Denver. So, uh, 
Right wow. after that, right after that trade happens, I, you know, I had like they say you got like 48 hours to uh, report. Report, yeah. And then a blizzard hits, and it was like one of the worst blizzards in Denver history, where like, like cars were stuck on the freeway for like eight nine hours. <laughs> it was bad. Do you know them that that management nuggets? They sent the limo to my house. And they picked me up and took me to like a little bitty airport. And it was probably like the plane was probably about the length of the car, probably of a, of a, of a suburban or something with propellers on it. And they shot me all the way to Philly, man. Swept that, swept that runway and put me on that little bitty plane, man. I had a, what? I had some Tide detergent in the book bag. You know, and I was up out of there, man. So, oh, yeah, I was real salty over that. But, you know, I got traded for a legend, though. So, you know, I ain't, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, if you would have traded me for a bag of nickels or something like that, <laughs> then I, then I'm like, oh, man, y'all really think I'm trash. But I got traded for Allen Iverson. So I was, I was good. I was good to go. It's like a flex you can carry on for the rest of your life, too. That's a definite flex. I was traded for Allen Iverson. Like, like they wanted me and to give up <laughs> Allen Iverson. They wanted me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted me. Yeah, yeah, straight up. <laughs> That's how I look at it. They're like, man, get your stuff and get up out of here, man. We got Allen Iverson. You know, so, you know, but, you know, the, yeah. Philly, the Philly experience played out, man. You know, that, that was around the time I think Allen Iverson was like, practice, 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 yeah. practice. And then they shipped him out to Denver. And then I came over there like, okay, I'll practice. I'll practice. <laughs> yeah, I'll practice. I'll practice. I'll be a leader. You know, team the worst team in the <laughs> NBA at the time. You know, true. So, you know, but we and had, you had the you had a young Iggy too, though. I had the young. I had the young Iggy Dollar. I had the young Willie Green. I had the young Thaddeus Young. Dallenbert. I, I had Sam Dallenbert. I had. Uh, I had the young Lou Williams. Yeah, you did. Ooh. Yeah, that's did. probably why they that's probably why they moved AI because they like, you know, they see Lou Will, you know, Lou Will was looking up to AI. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I yeah, don't know, was. but it, it was a great experience. So going to that year to Philly, what was kind of the the environment like after you know their the face of the franchise is now gone? What was it kind of like coping with all of that? And you know, Man. did the city act weird in that that way? Man, it it, it wasn't it wasn't about meeting the expectations or trying to be like Allen Iverson because that wasn't happening. And, and one thing that I figured out, you know, from being a, being a visitor and just playing there right away was the fans are passionate. And y'all see what Ben Simmons yeah. had to deal, Ben Simmons had to deal with, you know what I'm saying? And, and for me was, you know, this is a blue collar city that appreciate hard work. They appreciate guys that's going to come out and play and work hard and represent the organization the right way. And they cool with it. Yeah. Now they still going to call you some names here and there, you know, you know, but you know, my experience there, I didn't like the city, but I liked it when I, I appreciate it. And I love the city when I left uh, because my mindset was just, Hey, I got to help this team get to the playoffs, which we end up going to the playoffs. The, those two years so um you know i was a i think i was appreciated there and, and, and actually i still have a relationship with the organization so you know it, it was it was all good for me 
I think you was appreciated anywhere you went. I'm going to be honest. Based upon your game and who you are as a person, I'm, I'm pretty sure every organization definitely should have valued you. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you brought more than just your game to the table, which a lot of guys don't do in this league. You know what I'm saying? And being that you a good dude, like, it just it showed, and it showed purely through your game. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah I feel like you don't play 17 years in the league for nothing. You know what I mean? Like, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But after after Philly, you went to Portland. You spent three years there, and you scored a 50-piece. You had 52. Yeah. How was that? Was that? On, that, was, that was on accident. Was on. <laughs> How you accidentally dropped 52? Yeah, that, that was on accident, but, you know, the, the, the little bit of arrogance that I got in me, I was like, you know, I felt real good. And I was like, I, I tell my friends, man, look, I probably could have dropped a 60 ball, 65, you know, because it, it felt that good. And and not only did it feel good, the people, the, the team that I did it against who ended up winning the championship was Dallas. So at that time, they, they was a the number one defense team in the league. Yeah. So I get I put that up against Jay Kidd, Terry, Barrera, Stevenson, Sean Marion. Man, I I thought I was doing something, but you know, hey man, hey, in that environment, man, you know how it is, Craig, when you get in that 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 zone. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And every player, I think every player at one point in their career had that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, and where they just felt like, you know, I really had it going. And and that was that was one of the, I, I don't think I sweated that game. That's a bar. And, and just and just to talk about like that moment of feeling like to the viewer, it's like the basketball rim is as wide as the ocean. Oh, it was, it was not not only was it wide, I knew it was crazy. I knew I was on when I actually shot a sky hook. <laughs> I shot a sky hook, a point guard. I thought I was, I thought I was Magic John. I'm like, oh man, yeah, yeah. They tripping. I didn't shot a sky hook and for your teammates to, to cheer you on. And, and it was like, really, it kind of felt like at times it was just like me out there by myself. Like just. Like old times as a kid, right? Yeah. You know, what's that movie? Uh, Above the Rim when a uh, dude was out there uh, yeah, on the outside by yeah. himself without the ball. Yeah, that's what I felt like. You know, so, you know. <laughs> Man, it felt good, man. It felt definitely felt good. You also had an Iron Man streak of 632 games, the most consecutive games you played until it was ended by the suspension. All right, let's just talk about one like the process of keeping yourself in elite shape, not getting injured, and playing all these consecutive games. That was on some AC Green stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't no virgin though, so <laughs> I wasn't no virgin though. But man, look, man, man, look, man. I took pride. I took pride in, in being available. I took pride, man. Like you know, it's 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 easy to wake up and say, you know what, I I don't got it today. I never for once woke up and said, you know what, I don't want to play basketball today. Yeah. I mean, man, I was as tired as I was, man. I wanted to hoop. 
And, and I got the most out of dribbling that basketball to the point where when it was time for it to be over, I was like, man, I'm cool. I'm cool because I put so much effort and time. I didn't even know how many games that I played during that time, during that span. Basically, I, you know, I, I fulfilled my contract without missing games almost. You know, just that one suspension. I played out a six-year contract, I believe. Yeah. And, um, you know, the appreciation came from when uh, when I did get suspended. LaMarcus Aldridge, man, he he gave me – they gave me a, a – like a, a – man, they just gave me – I forgot what that – they gave me a poster or something, like a, a framed picture with the games that I played and the teammates and all that, man. And that was actually one of the coolest times where I felt appreciated. You know, it wasn't like, hey, man, you got NBA Defensive Player of the Year or you made an all-star selection yeah. or you was the MVP or this. Yeah. Man, they gave me an award, man, in practice for playing games, not missing games. Man, that made me feel better than anything, man. You can forget an MVP, like, appreciation for being available. From your teammates, yeah. that that made me feel good, man. That's dope. Shout out to Marcus Aldridge. Man. Oh yeah, good, good dude, guy, man. Good guy, good, good, dude. good guy, good guy. But yeah, like Craig said earlier when we introduced you, you only missed three games due to injury in your entire seventeen-year career, and the fact that you were able to play seventeen years, yeah, is insane. Like you, you don't see That's that really anymore. Insane. You don't and see really, that. Really, 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 it was only one game. One game, the injury, and two funerals. Wow. Two wow. funerals. So it was one, I had a, uh, I had a, a, a separated shoulder and the other two were two funerals. Unbelievable. As, as that career goes on, right? Obviously your body's aging and it's harder to perform at that peak level that you're used to. How do you adjust to be able to, you know, still be able to contribute to your team, still be able to hold your value um, cause you don't see guys go to 39 anymore in the NBA, unless if they're like, you know, top tier superstar. I think it, I think it became, I think it became easier because as you got, got older, you figured out, you know, Craig, as you get older, you figure out your body a lot more, no. you know, I mean, I have weight issues at time. I always came in maybe 10 to 15 pounds overweight, but I knew how to manage it. I knew how to rest my body. Um, you know, I figured out how to make the game easier for myself. You know what I'm saying? To the point where I didn't have to expend as much energy, you know, and, and, and still be able to compete at a high level. So, you know, um, the main thing was just, just figuring out, you know, the summertime, how to, you know, I rest my body, you know, I gain my weight naturally. And I lose my weight naturally, you know. I lift my weights, and I sometimes I wouldn't, you know. Just, just, just a pretty good balance that I had. And you know, one thing like you said, Craig, that was crazy. You know, back then, you know, just imagine us going in the gym, and us early on being able to have three or four coaches that rebound for us. You know, like we get up. Stephen Curry type shots and our shots to be wet, but you couldn't ask no coach, a, a coach or uh, somebody, a couple people, hey man, come rebound for me. 
And man, get get up out of here, yeah, man. man. I ain't rebound. Get your own rebound. You know what I'm saying? So I'm yep. shooting. I gotta go chase my ball. Raw, gotta, yep. I'm working out by myself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that I, I think I wish I would have been a lot more sociable where I would have worked out with guys in the summertime. But it was like, man, everything that I did was behind closed doors. You know what I'm saying? Let me go work out by myself. You know, if anything, I bring a couple friends that hey, y'all rebound me. I throw y'all a couple dollars. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Y'all rebound. We do it that way. But I'm not going to go in the gym and, and work out with guys that I'm playing against. Yeah. You know what I'm Because one, uh, it, was, it was that era. And then two, what you talked about, like, I can't be genuine to everybody. Everybody ain't my friend out here. So, yeah, like, yeah. And, and that era was different, you know. In this new era, we got to see the difference of guys, you know, really working out together. But back then, like, that, it wasn't really that case unless y'all was hooping, you know. Like hooping against each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was, it was, it was tough, man. It, it was, it was no friends. It was, it was a lot more. It was men back there. It was men yeah. back then. It was men in the league. You know, Mark Bryan, uh, um, Patrick Hewen. I don't even know if I played against him, but it felt like it was a whole bunch of Patrick Hewen. Yeah. Oakley, Oakley was still Charles in there. Oakley, I got a chance to play against Scotty Pippen. I got a chance to play against Cool Coach. I got a chance to play against cool Coach. what's that? I had to guard that. What's the one dude? Rest in peace to him, Anthony Mason, man, yeah. a, a penitentiary point guard, <laughs> a penitentiary point guard, man. Like, are you serious? I got to guard this yeah. buff six nine point guard. You know, it was some real Ben Wallace. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was yeah. men. You know, so I, I enjoyed it. All right, this is our uh, segments. So this one, we're going to start it off. It's called the Rhino Vision. And um, as a point guard, can you explain your favorite play in detail so the viewer can get an image in their head of the play, whether you scored or dunked or passed an assist? And I mean, since you had 52, I'm sure it was from the 52 piece. So so you saying like give you an example of a play that I got? Yep, one of your favorite plays that you love, whether it was like a pick and roll or it was an ISO for you or was something on the block because you did have post work too. You know yeah. what I'm saying? My thing, it was a couple of them. You know, the post stuff it was kind of like you fall into that at times. I think, man, the the most basic that I can get it was like you know I think I probably took this to every team and every team always knew it. Like the floppy set, yep, floppy. the damn floppy okay. set, and 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 bigs and and bigs and wings not being aware of what the hell, what the hell, where the ball is gonna go. Yes, and just just the eye communication of me to a wing or me to a big, like if they not paying attention, let me throw this to the rim. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like that, and teams knew it was coming. But I would get that prop every team that I played on, and you know every team run floppy set, every yeah. team run floppy set, you know. And the easiest thing for me, what I got joy of, was catching people. Let me throw this to the rim. Catch them slipping, yeah. And and, and I knew teams would prepare for it, like you know, to get a lob on Shaq to throw a ball over Shaq's head, and somebody catch a lob on him, or or yeah, like. Man, and, and my teammates enjoyed it. They they was looking for it like, hey, 
We know the Florida game going floppy. Bam, we know that zip pass is coming for a quick pass or a lob. You know, the pick and roll stuff, you know, that was probably more pressure than anything, the pick and roll yeah. for me, just because I knew I always had tried to ha- make the right decision. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's co- and, and you got to worry about, you know, them disrespecting you and going under the pick and roll or, you know, how aggressive the feel of the game. That's a little bit more pressure than, than making a pass and, and getting a live yeah. dunk. So, you know, that was that was my highlights. So, yeah, so for everybody who don't know, a floppy set is normally like a pin down on both sides from the big to the two wings where the guard is at the top of the key. Uh, one guard can go either way, being that it might be the top shooter who gets to decide whether he when it comes out on the same side or go across to the other side. If he goes across to the other side, he's basically getting like a double screen. And the opposite wing has to go to the opposite side, whether that is the same side for him or the opposite side. So when that happens and the big sets the screen, sometimes the defensive big may try to hedge up to protect uh, the guard who just got screened. So therefore, Andre always will throw that lob if he sees that big move any inch. It's like Tom Brady in effect. Like when you see when Tom Brady sees the defender move his hips or lean one way. He knows to zip that ball through, and he's going to get it in there. Yeah, so, perfect that's analogy. Up <laughs> into the uh, Give a Dog a Bone segment next. It's just a bunch of rapid-fire questions for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Started this off. This is the Underdogs podcast. we got to know what your favorite dog breed is, but I think you may have answered that already. Man, I, I mean, I love pet bulls growing up. Um I got three dogs running around here, man. One of them, I don't even know what he is. He mixed with horse. So uh, I got, I got, I, I love pet bulls, man. Okay. Favorite musical artist? Man. All of them. <laughs> All of them. Favorite music? If I had to say right now, I'm a Drake fan. I'm a Drake fan. Okay. Okay. Do you have a current favorite Drake song? Uh, <laughs> uh, I like that Drake song with Future. Uh, I forgot the name of it, man. Was it what, a, what a time to be alive? No, nah, that nah, album where, where it sound like Future barking or something like you like woo. I like that. I like that. One. Yeah. Right, favorite shoe. Favorite shoe. Uh. Some Chucks. Chuck. Chuck Taylor. Favorite city to play in. And it doesn't need to be a team you played for, just like any city that you played in. What was the the best one? Man, Miami, Toronto. Toronto, really? We haven't heard that one yet. Toronto, yeah. Miami, Toronto, New York, you know, um, Golden. All the big cities. Oh, yeah, all the big cities. All the big cities where I get to go outside. <laughs> all right. Would you rather have 20 points or 10 assists? Both. <laughs> he said both. <laughs> only one, though. You only get one. Uh, assist, 10 assists. Assist. Okay. Who was your favorite teammate that you could pass to because you knew you'd get an assist every time? Ooh. Wow. Early on, probably Lamont Murray. Oh, yeah, Lamont get buckets. Lamont Murray. Shout out Lamont Murray. 
Yeah, I knew he would get a bucket. Who is your best dunker of all time? Uh, Vince Carter. The only right answer. Good one. What is your favorite hobby aside from basketball? Man, my favorite hobby is roller skating. I'm a roller skater. I, I skate, man. Okay. Uh-huh. You was at World on Wheels, I know. Oh, man. Yeah, all of them. I'm still rolling. <laughs> Hardest player to guard? Allen Iverson. Best defender versus you? Ron Artest. Least favorite city or stadium to play in? Hmm. Hmm. His favorite city is. Oh. Man. These. I don't know. Maybe New Jersey or something like that. When they was in New Jersey. The Meadowlands. The Meadowlands was trash. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hated that gym. For us, like Gotham City. Yeah, man, that gym was horrible. I liked Sad's answer last week. He just said anywhere cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite game you remember playing in? Favorite game I remember playing in? Man, the first time uh, Carmelo and LeBron played against each other in Denver. Ooh, mm. that must have been sick. That, yeah, that was a both those game. games, the first time they played against each other in Cleveland and the the first time they played against each other in Denver, those were those were like two two of the best games, like hyped, most hyped games I've ever been in. Is it hard to like just not sit back and be a fan of basketball and just like a fan of the sport in those moments? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever wait? Did you ever get called watching like oh, like yeah, in yeah. any point? Oh, like oh, just yeah, like oh yeah. shit, we in the game too. I mean, LeBron, LeBron when he came in, yeah, he, he was doing some ridiculous stuff, like like like. Hey man, you're not 18, man. You like 26 or something, man. You like a quadruple, triple hold back or something. Like, man, there ain't no baby supposed to come out and doing that. You know, like he for was real. that guy. Yeah, for, for real. real. Favorite movie. Favorite movie. Shaka Zulu. Oh man. Super throwback, yeah. Jordan, yeah, you will yeah, never. Yeah. Jordan was born in nineties, not in in the late nineties. So, yeah. Zulu, hey, you might as well just get three days out of the way, and that's gonna take about two or three days to watch that movie. <laughs> I'm gonna write this. In, what uh, Shaka Zulu? Yeah, yeah. it's about this guy. Fan. It's about this African guy. He looked like Michael Jordan. <laughs> looked like Michael Jordan. And you watch it, and he killing everybody. Man, like, to the list. Everybody. Man, yeah, he, 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 wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Craig and Mike have been giving me movie recommendations to watch that I've been going through. I'm slacking. Yep. I made him watch The Wood. Oh, man. Classic. That was a good one. Yeah. He, he kept quoting Stacy, and I didn't know what he was saying. So he was like, you got to watch it. <laughs> All right. Favorite current player? John Morant. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Favorite all time player? Favorite all-time player is Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you think the finals matchup will be this year? Uh, I want to see Dallas. I want to see Dallas and uh, man, who who Miami play? Boston. Uh, I want to see. I want to see. Man, I want to see. 
I want to see Jimmy Butler get one. I want to see Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. and the Heat get one. I want to see that team get one. Miami yeah. versus Dallas. That'll be a good series. Too. Miami but versus I'm- Dallas. You know, but I mean, I'm happy for all four teams, though. Yeah, because Jordan don't like that answer. He's a Boston guy. Yikes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I got a thing with Boston. Oh, I got to hear it now. I got to hear it now. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you later. All right. <laughs> oh, boy, boy. All right. So we'll go ish here. Who do you think the best player under 25 is? And like plus or minus a few years if you don't, if you're not too familiar with ages anymore. Luca. He's he's been Luka. killer. I'm I'm honestly. I don't know how, yeah, Luca, Luca, definitely. Luca, Luca. Luca's cold. Yeah, I know I know LeBron did a QA on Twitter last night and he was saying Luca's his favorite player right now. Oh, Luca, man. Luca's amazing. Yeah. All right. And what is something you wish fans knew or understood better? I think fan, I wish fans understood the pressure and the grind you know like you know you kind of forget that these athletes are real people you know what i'm saying so you know you know all this stuff that's going on with you know like when the fans spit on uh uh, who's that trey young these are real people that go out and they got you know like as much as fun as we having we have families to take care of and we have it's a business and, um, you know, I, I wish the fans really understood how tough and how hard it is. Because, you know, sometimes they, oh, you just dribble a basketball. No, you just don't dribble a basketball. It's a lot. There's more, there's more to it. The, the, the game is the reward. The game is the reward. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to do it for the Give a Dog a Bone segment. Craig, will give it over to you. All right. We got three more questions for you, but this one is Mike's mental minutes. All right. In his mental minute, Mike asks, you play for 10 NBA teams. That's a third of the NBA. Was it easy adjusting to those cities and the team? Well, really, it was nine. It was nine teams in, in 17 years. Yep. And um, the um, the tough – the adjustment wasn't hard. It was uh, getting – acclimated to your teammates you know what i'm saying how 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 is it going how are you going to fit in a locker room you know yeah. you know do you walk on eggshells or you know do you just be yourself you kind of just kind of feel your way through it so i think just getting used to new teammates yeah because it's just like 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 when you go into a job you got different work you got to understand like all right i gotta understand this person's mental and I got to come in here and not try to be a distraction, too, and try to, you know, make everything gel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's a lot of lot of lot of stuff going on. Got to take care. Yeah, because you never know. Right. Like you coming in in a situation now, like you said, you're going into Denver. All right. We got this new guy, Carmelo. We got a young fella. We got to make sure we mentor him. But I got some older cats who might be my age or above. So, you know, we got to make sure we're on the same page for this young fella so we can get this thing going. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. Appreciate that for Mike's Mental Minute. Now, um, what is your funniest NBA moment? <laughs> funniest NBA moment. <laughs> Oh man, there's so many of them. It's the funniest NBA moment. 
Man, there's a few uh, rat running on the court, rat running on the court in uh in practice in New York. That was a funny yeah. one. Um, how did the right way? Where was y'all at? Y'all was in the garden. We was in New York. We was in the garden. And we was a shoot around, man, and a, a rat just walked on the court, <laughs> man. Like, hey, man, what this? And man, that rat, that rat was swole, man. That rat was big, man. Like, man. <laughs> Where the hell did this rat come from? You know what I'm saying? But that, that was probably one of the funniest, the funniest moments. Uh, one of the funniest is always Shaq, man. It's always Shaq, man. <laughs> but I remember he was playing in Phoenix, and um, at halftime, he came out, and I believe it was uh, Danielle Marshall was on Philadelphia. I was on Philadelphia, and Danielle Marshall came out after halftime, and we used to always call him Ludacris. We were like, Luda, we was all. So Shaq came out and he was like, uh, hey, come here, man. Bring your cheeks here. He gave him a hug, man. <laughs> and, he's, and he grabbed his butt, man. And I'm like, man, we're like, what are you doing, man? But it was, it was like funny. He just, he just cuffed his butt, man. I'm like, man, this dude crazy. But it was like, I guess they must have knew each other just joking around. But, you know, man, them kind of stories, man. Some weird yeah. stories, man. Some like, real funny stories. Yeah, yeah, it's always. Yeah. So y'all really had Jerry from Tom and Jerry come on the court in New York City, huh? Straight up. Huh? That, was, that was Jerry Cousin, the buff, the buff mouse. And, and, and you sure you're not related to Richard Pryor? Because nah, nah, now, nah, now nah. you've been having me laughing this whole this whole <laughs> interview, bro. <laughs> Yeah, nah, nah, man. I, I be joking, man. That's all I do is joke and clown now, man. I don't take too much serious, man. Of like course, to- man. As you should. As you should. Yeah, as you should. All right, we'll close out the episode as we do every episode. What would you say the biggest lesson you learned is throughout your entire journey? The biggest lesson, the biggest lesson that I learned, I mean in that business world, you're like, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. Man, every, every, every decision you make got a consequence to it. Every decision as a, you know, like, that's what I talk to these young kids that I cross, like, there's no filter. There's no filter. At least they think it is. You know what I'm saying? There's, I mean, like, Every decision you make got a consequence to it, you know, so be careful what you ask for, you know, especially in that, in that, that, that NBA lifestyle and just got to enjoy the moment because it, it's over quick as me and Craig know it, you know, as quick as you get there, you could, we played, we had long years, we had long years, quick as you get there, it's going to be over in a flash. And that's why it's, that's why they call it a dream. That's why I call it a dream. It's over. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dre, for this yeah. wonderful interview. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate it, man. Much love. I really, really appreciate this, man. I mean, like, in my eyes, you're a Hall of Famer. You're one of the greatest guards to ever play the game. Uh, it's been a joy since a kid to have him watch you play. And uh, just been an honor having this interview, man. Really awesome. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Blessings to you, man. You had a great career too, man. And let's let's keep uplifting these young brothers and sisters, man. And 
you know, we, we got to take care of our health and, and much health and, and wealth to you and your family and, and both of you guys. So I appreciate you guys having me on anytime. Thank you. That's going to do it for episode 14 of the Underdogs podcast. See you guys next week. Peace. Hey, y'all take care, man.